I guess I'd made a dozen of these or so. Carved the first one for my son. What is it? It's an angel, as well as I can remember an angel anyway. I haven't told you about that? Well, it was a long time ago. When my son Jesus was born, I didn't know who he would look like. Of all things, I was worried about that. But let me go back further. When I found out that Mary was pregnant, well, I didn't want to embarrass her because it turned out that the baby wasn't mine. Sounds strange saying that now. But one night, I had a dream, and in the dream was an angel as real as this stick of wood. This angel tells me that I'm supposed to marry her, that I shouldn't be afraid because Mary is going to have God's baby. It is our custom that when a baby is born, the father places the child across his knees. It's symbolic. It shows the world that the child is our legitimate descendant. Slowly, my heart started to get used to the idea that this boy was sort of on loan to me, that he was special. And I just, I made room for him. So on the day that he was born, I did what any other father would do. I placed him on my knees. I gave him his name. And I called him mine. For some years, I couldn't quite grasp the mystery of it all. But nevertheless, he's grown into a man, learning in the temple, and now teaching there. Every time I carve one of these, I remember what that angel told me in the dream. He said that my baby was going to be called God with us. God with us, yeah. That's always been enough and all I've ever needed to know. Oh, so? What is this child? Who does he look like? He looks like God to me. So it was probably the first or second time Dave and I were meeting together after I started my position here a few months ago uh, that we got to talking about my seminary experience how things were wrapping up, the classes I had taken, you know, the ones that have been really formational, foundational for me, and the ones that also weren't. Um, and I found myself focusing particularly on one course in, uh, um, in particular um, that I had done everything that I could do to avoid. 
This one course was one that I didn't understand why Fuller was making me take because I didn't think it had anything to do with what I was going to be doing with the rest of my life in youth ministry. This particular course was homiletics or, uh, or preaching uh, course. I was so convinced that it was just this biggest waste of my time, especially uh, when I look at my situation here at Grace, as I was explaining to Dave, that I felt like I was so blessed that this congregation not only had Dave, but we were so blessed with so many really good, articulate preachers. We have Lynn, and we have Carver, and we have Brian. Uh, we have tons of people that are blessed and feel really passionate about preaching. And I was really happy that I could just stay in my wheelhouse and just stick to the students and not ever have to be up here in front of you all preaching. And as if almost on cue, Dave kind of laughed and said, yeah, about that. I need you to pick a Sunday in December where you're going to be preaching. So uh, it is in that spirit that I ask you to uh, pray with me as we open up today. Dear Lord, let the meditation of my mind and the words of my mouth uh, lead all of us here to hopefully better understand this great mystery that is the Christmas story. Help us better understand what it means that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Help us better understand what that means when it comes to life being difficult, when it's, when it's maybe not so easy to follow you or say that we're followers of you. Amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Dave walked us through the Christmas story through the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We had come to understand that through her perspective, this immaculate conception of the Savior of the world wasn't necessarily on the top of her expectation list, right? It wasn't anywhere on her radar. This was not the way that Mary necessarily expected that her life was going to go. We were challenged last week to kind of place our own expectations on life in check, and that rather than living in disappointment when life doesn't necessarily go our way, we can learn from Mary that we can choose to live life expectantly and full of abundant life that uh, God, Emmanuel, has in store for us. This week, we're going to wrap up our series on what child is this by looking at Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Now, we don't know much about Joseph. The scriptures are relatively quiet when it comes to this earthly father. And in fact, we never really even get a quote from Joseph, do we? Only a handful of verses ever even mention uh, Joseph by name. This can lead many of us to assume that Joseph's role was relatively small in the life of Jesus. And we can wind up thinking that Joseph just really didn't have an important role to play at all. But we would be wrong. As little as the scripture mentions about Joseph, we can discern a lot about how important his role actually was on who his perspective was of this baby when he asked himself, what child is this? We come to understand that Joseph knew Jesus was so important that he was worth committing his entire life to. And we'll come to find out through unpacking scripture today that that even means sticking with Jesus when life is hard. To do this, we're going to kind of unpack it in three different ways. We're going to take a look at the circumstance that Joseph was in. We're going to look at the conviction that he was under. And then ultimately, take a look at that choice that he made to commit his life to Jesus. So as we do that, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. 
verses 18 through 24. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can pull out your cell phone or your tablet, and you can go to mygrace.church, and you can pull up the sermon notes on there as well. And I'll be reading from the message translation today, um, primarily because there's a couple of really cool words in it, and I like how uh, how it sounds. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, do not hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew, for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up, He did exactly what God's angel commanded him to do, and he married Mary. So what was the circumstance that Joseph was in? What what do we know about Joseph? We can tell from Scripture that Joseph was a pretty good guy. He wasn't interested in taking what was already going to be a big scandal and making it worse in any way. See, back in this time, Jewish marriages took place over a long period of time. It was in three stages, actually. The contract stage where the parents tried to work out all the details of the arrangement, the actual engagement period, and then the actual marriage and the consummation of the, of the engagement. Marriages were most likely contracted by then, so it's very likely that Joseph and Mary knew that they would eventually be married from an early age. The engagement period normally lasted about a year, and this period happened either after the contracts was all settled and done or the two were of age uh, to get married. And the purpose of this engagement period was to spend time getting to know one another. This was so that they wouldn't be complete strangers on their wedding day, which would be really awkward. This was a period where the couple would learn to love each other. Not fall in love, but learn how to love. This culture didn't necessarily look at love the way that we do in terms of Disney Channel, Prince Charming, all the lovey-dovey feelings kind of a thing. Love was, in fact, seen as something that you chose to do towards your spouse. It was less about attraction and feelings and more about this idea of duty to one another under God. It's in this stage that we discover that Mary is pregnant. It can be easy to imagine Joseph's first thoughts. Confusion? Betrayal, doubt, maybe even anger probably came up. What was he supposed to do? He was completely within his right to call off the engagement and even have Mary punished. But we know that he was a good man. And after some thought, decided that he would just keep things quiet. Break it off easy. This circumstance must have been nearly impossible for Joseph to have dealt with at the time without knowing what to truly do. And I think each of us probably have faced at least some part of our lives where we really had this impossible thing happen in our lives where we really didn't know what to do or how to tackle it. 
So what was this conviction that Joseph ended up being placed under? We know that his choice wasn't easy, but his character and integrity would not be compromised. This is why he wanted to keep quiet and not let Mary face this immense public shame while he was struggling with what to do. That is until Joseph got visited by that, by that angel in his dream. We can see in verse uh, 20 um, that this dream was all that Joseph needed. Joseph was from the line of David. We can assume that as he was growing up, he would have been taught the scriptures. He would have been a good uh, um, student, I'm sure, and he probably would have understood the prophecies about what the Messiah would be. So this visit from the angel was all he needed to give him that conviction, to trust that he should indeed take Mary as his wife. As the verse said, then Joseph woke up, did exactly what God's angel commanded him to do, and he married Mary. But the choice to commit to Jesus. When he saw in Mary, um, or we saw in Mary's account, how after the angel visited her, she responded in faith and trust and really began to praise God. And here in Joseph's account, right after he too was visited by a celestial being, that he was convict, uh, convicted instantly that taking Mary as his wife was the right thing to do. But as he made that choice, I wonder, did he really know what he was getting into? Did he really understand what committing to Jesus, what giving his life to Jesus would mean? Did he know that it was going to involve this treacherous journey uh, to Bethlehem with a pregnant wife that was near to term? Did he know that there'd be this tyrant king that was so bent on making sure that his child didn't survive that in fact he wiped out an entire village of children to try and ensure that it get done? Did he know that it would mean that his family would have to become refugees in a foreign country? What about us? Do we really understand what following Jesus is like and what committing to Jesus is like in rough times really means for us? When life is going easy and everything's good, I'm sure it's simple enough. But what about when life is hard? When I first became a Christian around the age of sex, uh, 16, I certainly didn't think that I would become a father about a year and a half later. Didn't think I'd be married by the time I was a senior in high school. Didn't know that I'd end up divorced 10 years after that. And even after overcoming all those obstacles and those circumstances that presented themselves through those obstacles, I certainly didn't ever think that following Jesus would mean taking me away from my kids for two years. Sorry, that last line was a lot harder to say knowing that my kids are in this service. It was a lot easier last service to say that. It wasn't easy for me to stay committed to Jesus throughout any of that. There were a lot of times where I thought it would be a heck of a lot easier to turn to a bottle than to turn to Jesus. There were lots of times where I threw up my hands and said, he just wants too much for me. I can't do it anymore. But I want to promise you today that all of us have the same security and promise of the scriptures that Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, and the wise men did. That in this one holy and otherwise insane night, the creator of the universe would finally become Emmanuel. And that through him, we would have the certainty of salvation and this hope 
in life that transcends any other understanding. You know, you might be thinking right now, eh, that's a pretty good story, Brian. We know you've been through a lot. Most of you here know the story. But maybe you haven't had any of these big, lofty, big things happen in your life. You know, maybe you don't have any kind of trauma that you've experienced in situations that made it hard to find Jesus. And I actually was thinking about that and have a story just from yesterday. Because it's not just big things that can happen in our lives that can make it hard to follow Jesus or stay committed to him in the moment. Little things that may be an inconvenience for right then in that moment, but really don't have this long-term life-impacting kind of a thing. Yesterday was my birthday, and for my birthday, I wanted to go and have lunch with my children. Seems easy enough of a task. As I left the house, I noticed that my gas tank was on empty, so I needed to go and fill up. Got out of the car, as you normally would at a gas station, put the credit card into the machine, take it out, type in the PIN number, declined go see the cash register, uh, the cashier. Okay, that's fine. You know, this kind of stuff happens. Maybe I typed in the PIN number wrong. Not a big deal, right? Go in and see the cashier. Swipe the card, PIN number, declined. Huh, that's really weird. I know there's money in there. Um, you know what, let's just run it as credit and see if that works instead. Ran it as credit, declined. And right at that moment, my phone started to ring and I looked at it and I noticed it was the bank. So like, okay, maybe they think it's a fraudulent thing. We can clear this up. Go outside, have the conversation. Sure enough, they wanted to make sure it was me, that I was at that location, and they want to verify a couple of purchases. Yeah, that's great. Everything's good. Finally, go back in, look the cash, uh, cashier in the eye and said, all right, we're good. Let's do this. Swipe the card. Declined. Uh, exceeded attempts, I think, was the error message this time. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize at that time, but exceeded attempts, if you ever get that error message, that means you're in for a long day of trying to get that card turned back on. So I went out to the, to the parking lot, dialed up the bank, and told them my situation, told them my story. About nine representatives later, and almost two hours later, of sitting in that parking lot, I was absolutely besides myself. And I think I'm really sensitive to these customer service situations because of my experience working at AT&T for so long and managing customer experiences for so long. Because I just get this feeling when I know I'm not being treated right, I can go from zero to 100 real quick. Just ask my kids. They've seen it. It's uh, not pretty. So it can be in those situations as well, those small things. You know, that's not a life-impacting thing, but we can all be presented with things day-to-day -day where... It can be really hard to be a Christian. It can be really hard to stay following Christ in those situations, can't it? Tell you what, there was very little Christianese about me yesterday between 11.40 and 2 p.m. or whenever. That all ended up getting sorted out. In a moment here in the spirit of uh, Family Sunday, I'm going to invite a couple of students up to kind of give their own testimonies about life being hard. But before I do that, I want to let you guys know that one of the things that I love about being a youth pastor is getting to live life every day with these students. I get to experience life with them in their highest of highs, but also in the lowest of lows. I gain so much knowledge, have gained, will continue to gain so much knowledge of what it actually means to be faithful and truly commit to Jesus because I get to see them live it out. So today, 
I have a couple of really good examples of this that I want to call up. Ciela and Ashlyn, if you all want to come up. Hi. Hello. How are we? I'm good. How are you? All right, so we've just spent some time uncovering how Joseph commit, uh, chose to commit his life to Jesus, um, even though it was going to be really hard. Um, why don't you take us through a little bit of your story, a time in your life where you chose to stay committed to Jesus, even though you were going through some really hard times? So, like, I've grown up in a Christian home, you know, it's been great. Um, but when I was really little, my mom didn't grow up with a dad. And so we had a man who kind of filled in, and, like, um, he abused me for several years. And um, so right after that, after it came out, I was angry at him, at the world, at everybody. Um, And I took it out on everybody, including my family. And one day I was at camp. And they were talking about unconditional love, and we were in a circle and with all my friends, and we were just talking about how Jesus loves everybody. And I just thought, well, if Jesus loves everybody, then he has to love the guy who abused me. So I sat there, cried for a while, and I finally forgave him after a long, long time. And... Now, I still get angry sometimes, you know, like a normal person, but that most of that anger is really gone. And it's great because Jesus has just relieved that. And I think I would be a totally different person if I went through what I had gone through and not had Jesus. I would be a mess and still really, really, really angry. Are there any practices you can point to that helps you sustain your faith during this time, like things that you made sure you were proactively involved in? Yeah, so um, if I hadn't loved kids and been part of the children's ministry, I probably wouldn't have gone to church. I would have fought my parents. I would have never gone to church. But I love kids so much that it brought me to church, and I just love hanging out with kids. And you know, So find something that you guys can get involved with it really helps and youth group well, youth group's been amazing too like camps support camps because they're <laughs> amazing they do lots of good things so for anyone that might be in the audience today student adult otherwise that might be going through a really big deal in their lives right now what kind of advice would you give them stay in a community it's really really hard to not but like you can push everybody away but Hopefully there's just one person who will stick on you no matter what. So stay in a community. Very good. (laughs) All right, thank you. All right, Ashlyn, what about you? What's been really rough for me personally is I lost not only my best friend, but my father three years ago this year. And that I really struggled with relationships with not only my mom, but other people as well. And it's just, it really shook me up a lot. And that really, I could tell that's when I started struggling with my faith and, you know, um, my relationships. Is there anything that you can point to, practices, things that people that came alongside you to help you during this period of time? Well, like with Ciela, I also agree, just communicating with the people that actually care about you and 
not pushing them away because you're not feeling the best, you know, and just realizing that out of all these people, your family, your friends, people really do care about you, and they want you to be strong in your faith and have morals with not only God, but your family and friends as well. Okay. And do you have any uh, lasting uh, advice to leave uh, the folks that might be going through something right now? I would say communicating. Communication is the best key, and that really, <clears throat> it doesn't just strengthen you as a person, but it also may be helping other people that are going through the same thing as well. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, girls. Thank you. I want to encourage you today that if you are sitting out there and you are going through something that is making it really hard for you to stay committed to Jesus, I would want to let you know and I want to encourage you that you are in the right place. You are in community today. And you're in a position where you have people around you that love you and care about you and want to invest in you. And if you're just listening to us online, I want to make sure that you know that that is equally true for you. That grace is a safe place. It's a place where people connect. It's a place where relationships really matter. Please uh, pray with me as we close out today. Father God, as we wrap up this series of what child is this? And we've looked at all these different examples of uh, seeing it through the shepherd's eyes and, and looking at Herod and Joseph and, and Mary and all the different characters of the Christmas story. Thank you first and foremost that we know that this child is Emmanuel, God with us in our salvation, in our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.